Welcome back to Dev Dive episode 14. I'm your host, Nighthawk, and today I'm joined by Riot Blastoise, our guest for today. Thanks for coming on the show, Blastoise. It's good to be here. Good to resolve some of these issues with my push to talk and everything else going on. <laughs> so, so, do you prefer Blau or, or Nathan? Before we get in too deep into the show, oh, I, I prefer I prefer Blau. I think most people know me as as Blau. Um, okay, professionally at least. <laughs> All right. So, what would you say your your current role at Riot is? Uh, so currently, uh, I am a researcher and strategist uh, for the R and D uh, department. Uh, which is research and development. So it's a little confusing because I just said I do research for research and development, uh, if you're following along there. The layman's terms of it, though, is I do research and strategy for our new games, basically thinking about how Riot's going to make new games, what sorts of new games we'll, we'll make. Um, and it's a mixture of like market research, user experience research, or like UX research, um, high-level product strategy and design strategy, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. So give us a day-to-day -day for, for your role. When you, get, when you clock in in the morning, what, what do you do? I probably can't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think the day-to-day -day for like what we, like the actual day-to-day, -day I can't really discuss, honestly. Um, because there's some secret sauce there. Ooh. The sort of higher level of what I do, um, the, the higher level of what I do, I can kind of go through and like what we've talked about and like the parts of creating a game, right? So um, the way Riot thinks about creating a game is through a few phases. There's the incubation phase, there's the uh, prototype phase, there's pre-production, there's production, and then there's uh, the sort of live state of a game. I typically work in the incubation and prototype stage. So sometimes my job is working to come up with ideas for games, uh, to come up with, yeah, basically pitch games to Riot is something I get to do. Um, other times it's working before we even write code, before we even think about creating a game, we think about like what are the things that are going to go into making a specific game who's the audience going to be for um what motivations is that game going to address etc um sorry i also have i'm basically reading off of a art an article that the leads of the r d uh department posted so that i don't stray too far out of what is okay to talk about and then a lot of times, like what our what our sort of team does is we build prototypes. We we build sort of what we would call like the scaffolding of a game, um, that sort of basic level of a game with which we can then build innovations on. I think a good way to talk about this would be at games that already exist, like Valorant. The scaffolding of a game like Valorant is like okay, you you want to make a tax shooter. Um, you need to have the fundamentals of tax shooting. So presumably, you'll actually just have one map, like one really good map. Um, in the same way that kind of the 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 crux of CS:GO can kind of be understood uh, via what's the popular? I only I, I'm not versed in CS:GO. Is it Dust? What's the one everyone plays? Yeah, Dust DE. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like you, you could have like Dust, right? And then you um you have the uh, you know your core movement down, your core shooting down, uh, and once you have that sort of scaffolding in sort of very gray boxy prototype stuff, then you might be like, okay, now we're gonna put Sage, you know, she'll have no art. She's literally just a stick figure, but we're going to give her some abilities. And her abilities at this time wouldn't be like, they wouldn't be her ice walls, people call it. By the way, it's actually supposed to be like a gem or like geomancer wall, but whatever, everyone skips over that. In this case, it'd be like, hey, you know what? We don't know what this character is, but we're going to have a character that has an ability that creates a wall. And we're going to have a character that um, creates a slow field and maybe has a revive or the general idea being that, like, we're going to take the, you know, this idea of, like, utility and character abilities that exist in maybe games like Apex and Overwatch and, and even in games like League of Legends, and we're going to inject characters um, and those character abilities as the form of, of utility into this tax shooter, and that would be the sort of, like, innovation that you put on top to test, right? Our job is to, you know, again, test out, you know, build out those scaffolds, that sort of basic foundation of a game, and then test the innovations on top of them. That's a very definitive answer. That's probably one of the best answers we've gotten for that question so far. 
So. Yeah, again, that's like the, I, I mean, it was day to day, but that's like, that's kind of high level what we're doing without giving away like how we, because again, that we do that people are like, wow, yeah, of course you do that. We've seen that with how you made Valorant, but it's like, we, you know, the, the sort of devil's in the details with how we go about that. And that's sort of what I get to work on. All right. So since we can't talk too much about what your current day to day is, why don't we talk a little bit about your previous role at Riot, which was as a gameplay, uh, gameplay insight specialist for League. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, much in, uh, it's very different sort of from the job I did now, but I, I can sort of speak, again, if we think about the parts of game development at Riot where you have, okay, Riot does this sort of, uh, this incubation phase where we're like literally just pitching ideas and developing a framework for a game. And that prototype is building the scaffolding and some of the core innovations. And pre-production, we are, you know, getting the game ready to like be built um, and like production being literally building the game. Riot has a really cool instance where I think a lot of those phases exist for um, for many games or for like many studios. But one of the cool things about Riot is like a lot of times it's like, oh, and then once you ship, you're kind of done. Both for Riot and honestly, for a lot more game companies, even ones we wouldn't have historically thought about. I mean, we see this with Rockstar's dedication to Grand Theft Auto. Uh, we see this with, I mean, obviously Epic and Fortnite, um, Blizzard and Overwatch. More and more, we see this sort of games as a service. So that live service component, that's what I did for League of Legends, specifically on kind of gameplay products. And what's interesting is that same framework of incubation prototype pre-production, production live, is actually how you can think about the kind of work I did on League of Legends, but it was specific to the individual projects and products on League of Legends. So much in the same way that, you know, we create an idea of a game and then the scaffold of a game and then the innovations of a game and then go through building that game, adding art, adding uh, sound, adding all these things. You could apply that exact same theory to how we build a champion. Uh, and that was something that I supported from the insights perspective. And a lot of that looks like um, doing these sort of high level advisory stuff on what kinds of champions to make, which oftentimes comes from data uh, that we have, such as um, play rate data of what champions players are currently playing. Sometimes, I mean, but oftentimes it just comes from like, hey, our you know, tastemakers, our designers, our artists have a really cool idea. They want to create it. Part of my job is then building out ways to test whether we're achieving um, what we want to do with that champion. And that actually is like not the big data sets that I work in when we talk about play rate data, win rate data, et cetera. That's something like um, bringing, and we've talked about this uh, externally with players many times. So like we actually bring in a bunch of players to our facilities in LA to play test new champions early on when they're in sort of that prototype phase. And what's cool is like a prototype phase for a champion, like an example of that for Kaisa would be, um, Kaisa was just purple Lucian. We literally just took Lucian's model, we colored it purple, and the abilities for Kaisa were just borrowed abilities from other characters. Again, we were proving out that concept of the champion that we wanted to made, uh, make before we go into things like pre-production and production, where we add in art, we add in, you know, the full narrative, we add in her VO, et cetera. So I would help guide and, and, you know, this is sort of the time when we talk about gameplay insights, again, to sort of step back and talk about the broader role. This is the part where research is involved. This is UX research. This is market research. Um, and I'm not only advising sort of on who we're making this champion for and like where our, our potential target audiences are, I'm also helping to make the champion by providing the designers and the artists with, with real player data, like players coming in, playing their, uh, their champions over the course of say like a weekend, giving us feedback on the gameplay, giving us feedback on the concept art. And I'm helping to interpret that feedback to help, you know, make recommendations to make the champions better. Finally, we get to that you know, last step, which is once the champion is released, I look at all sorts of now like big data to assess how the champion's doing, right? So our team is, while we don't make the the, the balance changes, we are responsible for the like, um, the, the balance data. Uh, so, you know, the gameplay insights team is responsible for balance data. 
Um, they're also responsible for things like play rate data, uh, how much is the character being played, uh, the breadth versus depth framework that we've talked about, which is essentially breadth, how many people are playing the champion, depth, how much are they playing it. And we're looking at that by demographics, by regions, by all sorts of stuff to sort of assess how well that champion's doing. Uh, and then we're also looking now at sort of mass sentiment on the champion. If we recall those labs were maybe anywhere from, you know, in the course of development, a champion might be seen by anywhere from 40 to 100 external players who will get the chance to like play test in during development. But within the first minute of it being launched, right, already, you know, tens of thousands of players will not play the champion. Okay, so now we can up sort of the, the scale of, of our sample for that for that sentiment. And we run things like champion post-launch surveys. More sort of recently, we kind of swapped to almost exclusively doing what we do almost at about a yearly cadence, which is our mass champion survey, which assesses all of the champions in League of Legends on their, their gameplay, if they're fun to play, if they're frustrating to play against, um, their visual appeal, their thematic cohesion, whether you want to see them in comics or purchase physical merch of that champion it assesses all of this stuff on a sentiment you know level from players all over the world and we're talking like hundreds of thousands of players uh for the sample of this and the the amount of data and like i mean like if you really wanted to you could hire someone full-time to just make and you know maybe we should you'd probably hire someone full-time to just make deck after deck and report after report from just this you know survey alone looking at champions based on uh player age uh how long they've been playing league of legends uh gender demographics regional demographics um player motivations for why they play certain games all of this stuff is is captured in in that survey and when you couple that survey then with the play rate data or the breadth or depth data you have a whole sort of ability to look at champions in league of legends both you know, their, their absolute win rates, their play rates, what players think and feel about them. And you get really, really rich data and understanding about your champions across all the different regions. Sometimes it's a little too rich because you almost get information or whatever is information paralysis or decision paralysis. Cause there's almost too much. And that's like who yeah, part of, part of my, my job then is like actually sussing out what sorts of decisions we make given all this information, because sometimes Data from one region can be at odds with data from another region for what you would do with it. That's an example of what we do on gameplay insights. And that's just champions. We haven't even touched on, you know, we do that same sort of process when we're making big seasonal changes. Um, when we're making systems level changes, like adding in um, like five, the five band systems. The way I like to generally think about it is like gameplay insights is res is is responsible for like understanding the state of League of Legends from a uh like game telemetry perspective and a player sentiment perspective, putting all that together and then advising basically our lead designers and and the people who set League of Legends vision for what we should be doing with the game. And sometimes that's granular on like a champion by champion basis. Sometimes that's higher level for the game itself. Okay, thank you. That was that was awesome. Um, I just wanted to say real quick, I I caught one of your streams a few weeks back. You were talking; it was sort of like a presentation about data in in games and esports and stuff like that. And I could almost see you moving into that mode when you were answering that question, where you were just uh, pulling out a point after point after point. I'm like, this guy is a pro. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get this information out there really well. And so I thought that was really awesome the way you answered that question. I just wanted to point that out real quick. Honestly, I'm just, I'm kind of just a like selfish, egotistical person. I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I actually hate the sound of my voice when it's recorded, but like as everyone does, right? But I love the sound as it comes out of my mouth. I just like, that's why I just keep going. Cause I, it's again for selfish reasons. So yeah. One of the hardest struggles I have producing this podcast is going back through and, and listening to myself give questions to people. <laughs> Um, okay. No, but, but, but in general, I was going to say part of it's that like literally within the last, like more and more year over year, I, I find I just, I just love games. I, I love video games. I love playing them. I love making them. I love thinking about them. I like pitching games. I like pitching products for games. 
I like games is just what I do. Like all things video games. If someone told me like, I don't care about video games, I'd be like, cool. I don't care about you. Um, that's just the reality of it. Strong words from, from Blau here. Um, okay. So focusing the nozzle down just a little bit. Um, oh, by the way. Yeah. If you want strong words, if you want like the spicy stuff, I'll go, I'll, I'll go spicier than the other people that I've on. Like, you know, <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll crank up the heat for you. We, we, yeah, it's been, we've had some very, very, uh, amazing guests on so far but nobody's really put on any spice so feel free to unleash um whatever whatever cayenne pepper is up stored up in there please no i <laughs> i i i i i walk the nice too regularly as it is so all right all right anyway um focusing the nozzle back back down a little bit um you said you often reviewed player surveys uh for champions stuff like that when they were released what is the funniest or best or most notable thing in your mind that you've ever read on a player survey if you recall any of them uh once i became known to the player base uh players started writing me like started writing notes to me in the free response sections which is like it's cute i get it but it's fucking annoying because they're supposed to be filling out the goddamn like information itself like i can actually go and like search our like survey tools and i can like search like blau or blouse toys and like i will it comes up with like tons of responses and it's everything like love your surveys blouse toys so i was like blouse toys you're fucking idiot there's typos in this <laughs> one of them was just fuck you blouse toys uh there's a fire blouse toys um yeah that's the funniest shit i love it though <laughs> I was about to say, I actually did that to one of my friends who's working on TFT now. Um, he put out a survey, and I knew it was him because he was talking about it a few weeks ago. Was it Equan or Brian Horton? Um, it was actually... I don't know if I can say. I'll just say it was one of the people working on TFT. Um, okay. But I, I wrote a response in there, and I told him to give him a raise. Nice. Um, hope that it didn't invalidate the data for them. I'm sorry. All right. So this is actually something that I think is a big question on everyone's mind. Um, how often does player-based sentiment actually translate into balance? Are the most hated champions often the most OP? Or is it all sort of just a mishmash? Um, this is a million-dollar question. And I think one of the most frustrating things that the like Riot balance team deals with is... The way people approach balance in League of Legends, it's like, um, you know what? It's like the fucking, what's the, who's the dude who did the cave? Is it Socrates or Plato? Oh, who did don't the cave? ask me, man. I chat, who did the, hold on one second. Who did the cave, chat? That's a very, that's a very, Plato, apparently. It's Plato, sorry. Uh, there. By the way, there was at one point in time when I went to school and I was much more, um, I was much more educated. I will admit I'm really fucking stupid. Um, people tell me this all the time, um, and they're like, "Why does Blastoise have a job at Riot? That guy's an idiot." I agree. Like I am very dumb. Um, because I can't remember this shit. But I think I'm decent at at pulling together things that I should know about and other things I should know about, but I'm like woefully unintelligent at both of them and then stringing them together with like kind of crackpot theories. So the reason why the cave is, is a good analogy for how like, like we'll look at like NA players, NA players view balance of league of legends because what they are seeing is they're seeing the fucking shadows of the things behind them reflected on the wall and that's it. And I'm not saying that the shadows on the wall behind them reflected. Yeah, the, you guys know how the cave works, right? It's like a bunch of prisoners are chained up and they're looking at a wall and they see these shapes moving by, like the shape of a pot or the shape of a, I don't know, a fucking, uh, whatever else is in Greek life, a sword. I don't know. They see the, sh they see the shadow of it because... There's like a fire burning behind them. And I guess there's like people walking, carrying the fucking object. So they they see that and like, oh, that's a sword. Oh, that's a pot. But that's not actually what it is. They're only seeing the reflection of the uh, – or not the reflection. They're seeing the shadow, the, um, the outline of it. And it's a whole, I guess, allegory about like, I don't know, truth or whatever. Anyways, 
I feel like that's how North American players and not just NA players. I'm sure this is players all over the, all over the world view balance in league of legends. What they are viewing is they are viewing the shadow of balance as seen from their perspective, chained to their like narrow window of, I am a, I don't know, diamond or masters player and I'm a streamer and I only care about like this level of balance. And these are the characters I find really annoying and frustrating to play against. And this is the win rate sites that I listen to. And that's the the idea of balance that I adhere to. And the problem with that is that the balance team has to consider not just that one siloed perspective. They can't just balance the game for masters tier, just as they can't just balance the, the game for bronze tier. They have to consider all the tiers and it gets even more complicated when we find that the things that, because here's the thing, there are, there are things in the game that are strong and then there's things in the game that are frustrating and how much those two interact can greatly change someone's perception of, of balance. There's a lot of characters that are strong that even, um, that even pro players or high elo players won't actually complain about as much just because the nature of the champion, either it's play style or it's ability pattern, whatever it is, just doesn't feel as bad for whatever reason. But even that is a subjective thing that can change by region. We find that the, you know, the kinds of champions that uh, Chinese players complain about versus Korean players versus North American players are actually different. There's all sorts of differences in what they find frustrating. So even if the numerical win rate of those champions is the same across all regions, the frustration that a player might feel towards that the play style of that champion went slightly stronger will vary by region and it also varies by elo and all of those things combined make for this giant mess of trying to understand and trying to see the real form of the balance pot or the balance sword behind you when oftentimes people only look at the shadow presented in front of them which is the shadow relevant to their region and relative to their elo bracket that was a very in-depth question or answer. I think that was probably the best answer that you could have given based on like it like you said it was it is the million dollar question. There's no perfect answer for it. So I really appreciate your candor there. And the other thing is like like it, the game like they're never going to have things correctly balanced like so much yeah, I mean like you, well, you could have well, some term... talk for hours on this. The term balance is, is very uh, broad in general. Um, balance at this very basic level is just, is A equal to B? And for a game with, with 150 champions and so many systems in place, it is physically, uh, digitally, and, and there's no physical way that you can ever get achieve perfect balance in a game like this. And they're not designed for that, so it's not necessarily a problem. Well, the other idea is like per perfect balance is also is also just kind of boring, right? Like the idea of why we play league is that it goes through different states of of it goes like balance is is a river. Yeah, that's my neck. Now. Balance is a river and it flows. You know, balance is like or what's the Bruce Lee thing? It's like balance is like water. You put you put balance into a cup, it becomes a cup. That that uh, that analogy. We're gonna skip on that analogy. I don't think that one's as good. But but in general, I think. The, the difficulty in it lies that people find certain things, regardless of the actual strength, the objective win rate slash play rate of a character, which by the way, people argue about that and what's the importance of win rate and play rate of a champion. They argue about that all the time. God, there's, there's any number of like complicated discussions around like, oh, is it the like skilled players, like the expert one tricks playing the champion that increased the win rate to that level? Is it a bunch of shitters playing the champion that brings it down? There's any number of things that that cause that issue. And there's this whole thing where it's like, well, if pro, you know, maybe pro play is the only truth for balance. It's like, no, pro play is not the only truth for balance because those are people playing in a coordinated 5v5 like thing with like true stakes on the line. Like I can't, I don't play coordinated League of Legends. Solo queue League of Legends is just a individual like it, it like solo queue league of legends is literally a solo game masquerading as a team game clash is a team game built on top of that solo game but the idea being that like whether it's pro play elite play 
you know, whatever, you know, I'm not an elite play, but whatever high ELO, like platinum diamond play is, um, low ELO, mid ELO, like all of these things have, uh, are likely to have champions seem and appear more, or like actually champions will just objectively perform better or worse across all those years. And the way in which people view the champions, their, their sentiment about what's strong or frustrating will change across all this. And then top on top of that, that changes by region. It adds in so many things that make it, and I'm not saying that it's like, oh, we should, you know, abandon all, all hope ye who enter the, you know, balanced land, but, but it's to say it's a very complicated thing. And when people shit on Riot's balance team, I'm like, this, we're not supposed to like, we're typically not supposed to like shit on other companies or like, or like compare ourselves that much, but like, honestly, I have to be like, go play another game and tell me how they balance their game compared to us. Like, let me know what they are doing better. And it's one of two things, either a, they, they don't have nearly as many problems to solve because their game just doesn't, you know, you know, yeah, chess has needed to nerf white side for thousands of years, but in general, the game's pretty balanced and it's either, it's either too simple in that sense or they're not doing as good of a job. Yeah. And I think um, the chess analogy is awesome because for a game like League, you do have a lot more control over the balance just because there's so many more variables to change. For a game like chess, there's very few real moving pieces. Like you can change which side goes first, how many pieces or how many places a, a one piece can change, move. But there's there, other than that, there's, there's very few variables you can change. But for League, you have thousands of variables per champion you have ad scaling ap scaling um movement speed ad range there, there's just so many amazing uh pieces that you can tweak to get that little bit of balance and i think that's what a lot of people don't realize um when they call for balance changes for champions it's like hey yes this champion needs a buff or yes this champion needs a nerf but what do we actually touch do we just buff their damage that's only gonna be a, a bandage fix for some of the problems um yeah and i'm not fully like i'm not gonna fully de like defend the balance team obviously oh my god i'm holding the t button down again <laughs> i'm not gonna fully defend the balance they they make mistakes they they do things that they're probably like yeah that was a bad decision that was a bad change like yeah that happens um you know people make mistakes or don't do things perfectly with stuff all the time um I think the general gist of what they have done and accomplished for the game is good though. Yeah. I think, I think there's no arguing that league of legends has remained the most popular game in the world for 10 years on end with ups and downs throughout the, ten, the years. There's, there's no argument that they're doing something right. And you may have some complaints towards the balance team for certain uh, champions that came out or certain changes they made, but at the end of the day, the game remains popular. The game remains fun for most people. Um, and you just... I, I don't know about that one, but yeah. <laughs> hey, I have fun when I'm playing League. I'm kidding. I love League. Game's great. <laughs> um, and that's why... I, uh, this is a tangent, but I'm really happy that Riot has finally released alternate playstyle games for people to go out and enjoy because you can play League all day long and you can get frustrated with it and you can be sick of it. And then you can go and play Valorant, or you can go and play Legends of Runeterra, or Untitled Project Number Three that's going to come out. Um, and it just gives you. I, some... I, dis I, I disagree. I, I actually disagree with your point here. I oh, mean, you don't like that? Game... No, it depends which game you're talking about. I mean, I, I think Valorant is fundamental. I think Valorant is fundamentally the same game as, as League of Legends in terms of like what it scratches for motivations. Okay. I think there are minor differences that will cause you to pick one versus the other, but like Valorant is. Like, if I look at high level, why are you playing a game? And it's like, I care about, you know, achieving mechanical mastery. I care about achieving a sense of, like, tactical mastery or game sense within a game, like knowing what decisions to quickly process within a game. I care about, like, some higher level of maybe preparation and strategic mastery of understanding a meta, understanding certain play styles, et cetera, and implementing them boil all that mastery into I want to then express that mastery through a competitive environment, a competitive team environment, and they're basically the same game. Yeah. No, or, I agree, rather, I agree with you on, on a motivational standpoint, but I think on a just a, a 
it's a different genre of game. It's just a different type of game. People who are good at League will not necessarily be good at Valorant and vice versa. You have a different oh, experience true, true. when you sit down and play it. And that's, that's, no, yeah, I, I think I think the better examples are like, you know, you'd go to play like a TFT or Legends of Runeterra as like sort of a different experience from... Yeah. I, I do really think that League and Valorant are very, very similar experiences. Just, you know, one is the MOBA version and one is the tactical FPS version. Okay. <laughs> That's that's a viewpoint. I, I know that's I know that's kind of I know that's kind of weird because people talk about like people talk about like um I mean I've talked about this on 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 my own stream before, but it, it is kind of the same way in which like like league is you know league and and Valorant are basketball and soccer, right? Like that's the way I look at them. Whereas TFT might not is is not a sport in that sense. Okay. Uh, so, TFT, so you would like it, in TFT. To like chess or or um yeah it's more of a game right yeah i think i think the time i think time pressure i i I still have to work on this whole framework and how i think about this by the way this is not like a this is how riot thinks about games this is how i think about games i think when you put in a degree of time sensitivity and really what it comes down to is mechanics like mechanical pressure uh digital athleticism if you will when you add that aspect, a game then be like a video game becomes can become an esport, and that is a game like Overwatch, League of Legends, CS:GO, Call of Duty, um, uh, Valorant, those games like that. I don't actually think this is all. The, do you want? Do you want the spice? This is the spice I'm actually willing to throw out there. I will actually argue that a that like Hearthstone, um, Legends of Runeterra. And team fight tactics are only esports because we group in all competitive video games to be esports. I don't actually think they're esports, and yeah. and I've argued with people. I, I've argued with people about why you would call something a esport a a sport versus not. Um, I think for a game a video game to be an esport, it has to have, in the same definition that we classify real life IRL games and sports it has to have a it has to have a mechanical execution component um whether that's the mechanical demands of FPS shooting in Valorant or the micro mechanics involved in StarCraft or League of Legends and and the you know hero control i don't think the mechanical demand of uh TFT Hearthstone Legends of Runeterra is such that they are sports. Yeah. Uh, we actually had the, the pleasure of having Mortdog, uh, the lead designer on TFT on last week. And we discussed a little bit about where TFT is in the esports, um, like the esports landscape. And even he uh, came down and said like, hey, we don't really look at TFT as, as a traditional esport. We look at it more as like a, a, a poker tournament or something like that, where there's still skill involved. There's still ways for skill expression but at the end of the day four people sit down at the table or eight people sit on the table and any one of them can come out on top regardless of individual player skill just because of the rng involved and the the mechanics of the game and i think um i think there's i think i think tft is a little uh, i would push back i mean it depends what more i do liken it to poker i think there is a lot more skill involved in tft that's not to say games like tft and hearthstone don't involve skill i mean chess in a sense people are calling it chess esports chess is not a well chess chess is not a sport if you get into if you get into speed chess then like maybe you're arguing it but uh, that's like fast decision making yeah again i think it is the like when we talk about a sport, we're saying that there's some physical component that you have to quickly and, and do under time constraint. Um, I guess maybe moving the pieces. This gets into weird philosophical arguments, yeah. though, about this stuff. In general, though, yeah, I think TFT is is more like a competitive. It's a competitive game, and it can a competitive game was how people used to view competitive video games. They were like, oh, well, it's not sports, just a competitive game. I think that the like the mechanical mastery. And like, again, I hate using this term, but it's a meme term that I like to use the like, you know, digital athleticism of, you know, it's the same reason the digital athleticism is the same reason why ASU can go and play Apex and then come <laughs> into another fort or and then can come into Valorant and be incredible, right? Because he's he has the 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 mechanics of an FPS player, 
you know, locked down. Uh, I think games have to have that aspect of mechanics to truly be a eSport. You can have professional TFT. You can have professional Valorant. Valorant is an eSport. TFT is a game. Okay. So this isn't a question that I was actually planning on asking, but given your passion for eSports and, and how vocal you seem to be on them, I wanted to know, where do you think eSports are in terms of the general populace in the consciousness of the world? And how long do you think it will be before they're on the same level as traditional sports? Is this like, so is this question esports is in the professional side of the sport or is this like games as sport esports? That's, how about we approach it from the, the first one first and we'll see where we go from there. The, the games as like a, a traditional sport. I don't know. Um, this, this one's weird. There's like all sorts of, like, I think that people put, people talk about if, if there's an esports bubble, is there not a bubble? I don't really want to like speculate too much here. I don't want to get in trouble for speculating too much. I'll, I'll just say this. If I had a kid right now, I wouldn't let my kid play football because I don't want them to get a fucking concussion and that game is is like very dangerous for them. Youth football participation rates are dropping. Baseball viewership has been like baseball as the favorite pastime in the US has been dropping substantially. We've seen video game esport like video games as as sports, the professional versions of those be some of the most viewed um you know, sporting events, depending on where you are. And yeah, the numbers are like, I, I hate when people, I hate when people talk esports numbers because they, they never compare apples to apples of like what it means to watch the foot, uh, to watch the Super Bowl versus what it means to watch Worlds. All I know is this, the general trend is that whether, and, and I'm not saying whether it's going to be League of Legends or Valorant or CSGO, what the esports, I'm saying esports as a whole, professional video games will is is continuing to increase and i think depending on the traditional sport we're seeing decreases in and, and here's where the, you need to look for like the leading indicators what are the kids doing <laughs> what are the kids doing right because if kids are playing less and less sports if kids are playing less basketball if they're playing less baseball if they're playing less hockey if they're playing less football that does a few things that hurts the viewership of those games later on and it hurts the cultural relevance of those games and it hurts what those kids are going to raise their kids doing where i think it will really start to take place is when gen z starts to have kids uh, millennials and gen z but especially gen z gen z grew up in a time when video games uh, and again, if I'm only talking about the U.S., this is already happening faster in, in other countries. I think we'll actually see it happen faster in uh, Korea and China and a bunch of countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, we will see it happen in North America, I think, when Gen Z has kids because Gen Z grew up with video games being culturally relevant, largely due to Fortnite, actually, Minecraft and Fortnite. Because they played those games and that was like culturally significant to them, they will likely share the sort of joys of gaming with their kids as well. And that will be a sort of significant tie in between Gen Z and then whatever the generation of kids are that they're raising. Again, you'll start to see it as millennials have kids, but millennials are still not as digitally savvy as, um, as uh, Gen Z who literally fully grew up in a digital era. Again, the other thing you have to look at is look to look like, when people talk to me about like traditional sports, I'm also like, look at the look at the age of people who watch the NFL. In fact, one second, I'm gonna Google this. We're real gonna quick. look up stats on the fly right now, um, just to fill some time while you're looking that up. I actually super agree with what you're saying, and I just wanted to share my experiences because I know um, personal experiences are always anecdotal, and that never has any real like outcome on what the actual data is, but. I don't know a lot of people right now with kids um, who are putting them into sports. I don't know a lot of younger people who are interested in sports at all. They're all interested in either video games or neither. So having that cultural experience just isn't leading to where 
the next generation is going to be like, hey, I want to play football or I want to play soccer or I want to play uh, baseball. I don't see it in my my experiences, and I don't know anyone who sees it in their lives either. Average NFL viewer is fifty. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, when people like when people laugh at me when I talk about this idea, I'm like, dude, the NFL is aging. <laughs> like, the I, I'm not saying sports are going to go away in general. I think sports will still exist. I think there's two that I will if if you were like Nathan, you have to bet money on which sports stay around. I think basketball and soccer stay around. I think those two stay around partly because of their accessibility. But like, you know, people were like in this article alone, they're like, hey, like, should the should the NFL consider shorter game length? Should they change rules to increase scoring and create more excitement during the game? Should they invest in more apps to engage viewers in play by play activity? Should they seek out ways to allow more gambling during the game? Like, these are all the questions to ask. And do you know what's so funny? Tell me when the NFL does that. Because it took the NHL a really long time to make those rule changes. Meanwhile, guess what companies are willing to be like, yeah, you know what? The sport, fuck it. We'll change the rules all the time. We'll add in a completely new sport. We'll apps that that you can – or like ways to engage viewers with play-by-play or like fun apps that we can include in the game. You know, random side things for the game. Cool. That's literally what esports have. Like they have such a huge edge over traditional sports in that way. The, the other thing I, I say on a broader note is like – I look at the kinds of human activity that were popular in the 20th century, whether it's sports, whether it's going to concerts and whatever it is. And I'm like, cool, take all of that stuff in the 21st century. We're going to be doing that digitally. That's just how we're going to do it. I'm not even saying it's going to be crazy with like VR and AR. I don't really like, I don't think that that's even necessary. I think people can literally just sit at their computers and and do shit like we've all been doing in quarantine from COVID. People are going to go to concerts in Fortnite. I mean, I, I called it as Fortnite as the third place, but now they've announced that they're going to do a viewing of Inception within Fortnite. God knows what cool special effects, you know, Epic or Epic has pl- has plans for that. But like, that's going to be sick, right? And and, and in general, I, I'm like, yeah, I, I think you'll see whether it's the at the professional level or at the amateur level. I'm not saying physical sports will go away, but you will see digital sports esports be on the same par with them very soon if you had to give me like the actual time to guess it's when gen z starts to have kids is when it will like fully overtake yeah and i like that you mentioned um the quarantine making sort of a proof of concept for it because yeah we have seen a lot more um evolution in in how people are reacting to things um movie theaters are shutting down whether permanently or temporarily uh, we're having more people planning for a more remote workforce. Like my job personally um, reached out to me and they said, would you be interested in working remote full time and stuff like that? And we're we're seeing that these ideals that have just sort of been clinging by a thread for the past 30, 40 years, even in the tech world, which you would think wouldn't be anchored to that. They're finally getting snipped off and they're finally getting released. And we're seeing people being like, hey, maybe we don't need people coming to the office every day. Hey, maybe we don't need to be in person for every single meeting. Hey, maybe we don't need to be doing this for every single that. Um, and I think it did take a drastic change of lifestyle for everyone to to reach that point. Um, and I think personally, we are living in a time where we'll look back in 60 years, willing we live that long, um, and we'll see it as a big shift in how culture in general is totally yeah I, th- I think this will be a huge huge sort of moment in human history okay um we got a little off topic but i wanted to transition to a subject that i think that you'd be a great guest to talk about um you're one of the few writers who actually produces content as well as doing a full-time job at riot uh what drove you to start doing this uh i I like the sound of my own voice. I, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm egotistical. Yeah. So so actually, taking a step probably, back. Probably that. <laughs> taking a step back, I actually wanted to ask this too. Um, how did you get your job at Right in the first place? Um, I was originally doing. I mean, uh, I was originally a, a UX researcher at Sony PlayStation, and then applied to Riot. Before that, I was at the University of Chicago. I was studying uh, political science and neuroscience. I was planning actually to go into some form of intelligence, like counterterrorism, like with the uh, Institute for Defense Analysis, the IDA, 
was like I was planning to go kind of like East Coast, do something around intelligence or counterterrorism, um, and ended up uh, doing a, a video game internship with Sony PlayStation as a researcher. Uh, within my first week, I knew I'd never go back. And basically from that first week at Sony, I've just been on like a like steady trajectory of more and more investment in my my mental time, my personal time, my professional time in games. So, but you were a gamer before you started that internship with Sony, obviously, right? Yeah, I uh, I played competitive StarCraft actually uh, okay. in the in the CSL uh, Collegiate Star League. StarCraft One. StarCraft Two. StarCraft Two. I played so, I played a shit on the StarCraft One back in the day as well. Uh, I actually used to be I was a big narrative games person. Like growing up, I was really big into narratives, and I wasn't as much on. I was like maybe like early on games as a sport when I was playing like Call of Duty and Halo. <laughs> I was like a big console gamer. And then uh, my first PC game that I really got into was StarCraft 2. Yeah, um, I actually play a lot of StarCraft 2 still, but I, I don't play it competitively. I play it for the, the co-op missions and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I would smoke it 1v1, easy. <laughs> uh, I think my uh, peak rating in StarCraft was like Platinum 3 or something, and I was playing Protoss, oh, so yeah. it didn't really count. Um, <laughs> yeah. Platinum and Protoss is like silver in the yeah, other ranks. Yeah, it's, like, it's like Iron, baby's first Iron. Um, <laughs> so okay going back to the content side of things because i was really interested in this um when did you start content creation as a focus uh like inadvertently i guess like a year ago and then deliberately within this last year um it's been a, i will admit it's been kind of a rocky path and it's been a little weird um, and the reason why, but uh, to answer your question, the reason why I enjoy it, I do enjoy it from a dev perspective. That is, I like being a dev who engages with players because I think that is beneficial to the company I work for. I think it's beneficial to the players. And I think it is beneficial to this broader nebulous thing of like dev to player relationships that like make us all happier, healthier gamers singing Kumbaya together when we're not angry. <laughs> I, I think that is that is really valuable. It's actually one of the reasons why. Um, and it's weird because like I remember like OG, I like interviewed more on my I had more on my stream once I was interviewing him at TFT and like helped him when he got started streaming and stuff. And now he's absolutely blown up. And I I can like proudly say, I mean, I hope more would would at least recognize and say I was maybe some of his inspiration. I don't know. But more important than that more actually inspires me for what I want to do. Like the level of like engagement. Now, I, unfortunately I just can't do sort of what he does because he's literally the like lead designer and director on the game, which is fucking sick. Um, but dude, it's like, even if I can't aspire to what Mort does, I think what Mort does is so dope. I absolutely love everything he does for TFT um, from like the personal streaming side. And I think that's like a really cool thing that I aspire to do. And then from a personal perspective, like outside of like what I do, uh, well, I think creating games is like my main passion. My second thing is like, yeah, I like creating content. I like sharing stuff with players. Um, I think one of the the struggles has been finding like what I can and can't do um, while working at Riot because there's, you know, um, it, it's a complicated process. Yeah. Uh, Riot's on to Riot's credit, it's one of the probably one of the few companies where you can be a game developer and also be a content creator ish uh, and engage with the players in that degree. So I think that's cool, but there's a lot of complications with it. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the reasons why I actually started Dev Dive with with Larry, who couldn't be here tonight, um, it was almost two years ago now. We took a hiatus midway through, but we we. Two years ago, more especially, less so now, because there are people like you and Mort who are game devs and content creators, but there wasn't as much of an insight into who pe who game developers were as people um, as there is now. And there wasn't really this... There was a... Like you said, there's a separation between players and game developers, which I think... I personally believe that that really shouldn't be um, as thick as it is. I don't think that the the player base should be as divided from the developers, because... At its core, many game developers are just game fans who are doing their best to make the games that they enjoy and they hope other people enjoy. Um, and one of the goals of the show is to bring in people who work on people's favorite games, like League of Legends, like Valorant, and ask them, like, hey, what do you do, and how does that make the game that you work on better? How do you, 
how do you make League of Legends better? How do you make Valorant better? Um, and I think we've got some really good guests on. And I think uh, <laughs> I'm proud to say I think this show has been a success so far on that front. No, totally. And I, I think it's something you especially see from Riot. And I hope more companies, we start to see it from them as well. Um, and, and I think it's cool. And I think the more it occurs and is normalized, the more like sort of okay it'll be. Yeah, I think that that the more people we see who are on the forefront of the public consciousness doing it, we'll have other people saying like, hey, maybe that's okay. Maybe Epic Games will start having people who play Fortnite be, be on their game dev team or something like that. Um, that was a weird way of saying it, but I'm, I'm, I, I agree. I definitely hope we see more uh, interaction with the community from game developers on a whole. Um, yeah, so we, we talked a little bit about it, but how do you balance a full-time job? Because it sounds like you work a lot and you think about work a lot. How do you balance that with content creation? Uh, it's actually relative. I, I think for me, it's relatively easy because I've just streamlined a lot of my life to to do that. I mean, I live in, um, I live very close to work. Right now, it's work from home, so I'm at a desk where I can do my work, and then I can swap, you know, swap to then doing my personal stuff all at the same place. Uh, like logistically, I'm serious. This is like a logistic thing. I do meal delivery. I'm not someone who, like, uh, dude, people, I don't know why people hate on this, but like, I don't like cooking. I don't like cooking. I don't like cleaning. Um, so I pay for deli food delivery. I pay for uh, people to do cleaning. Like there's a lot of like things in my life where I'm like, I pay to not do those things because I don't, you know, the, the food one, especially where I'm like, I like, that's time that I want back. So, and all, and that's why I choose to live like close to work. I don't like commuting. I like video games. So I'm like, okay, cool. What are all the things in my life that I can cut out from video games? And part of this is because like, I already have a huge commitment to my diabetes and to my health concerns that I have to take care of as well. But I literally strip out a lot from my life that would be distractions to those things. Secondly, you know, it'd be one thing if I was doing like health and fitness content creation on the side, but it's like, cool, my content creation on the side is video games. It's still part of like what I do for my job. And so like I get to my, my, the way I unwind is I play video games. Um, for a lot of people, they have to spend time with their, I, this is just a reality. They have to spend time with their family. They have to spend time with their significant other, their wife or husband, or they have to spend time with the kids. I don't have kids. Don't have to spend time with the kids, spend time with the wife or husband. Uh, I have a girlfriend. She also literally just lives and breathes video games. Cool. We play video games together. Check two boxes with one stone. Um, yeah. Checked two boxes with one. Yeah. That's how it goes. Um, uh, anyways, um, and let's see, uh, yeah, basically I live and breathe video games. So it makes that like content creation plus my work a lot easier. The way you were describing how you, you make your life more efficient. Um, so you can spend more time playing video games reminded me of, um, an RTS player, like saying how they reduced worker, worker idle time or something like that. I really thought that was, that was kind of funny the way you were talking about how like i don't like cooking so i just don't cook i do meal prep um <laughs> sorry i wanted to point that out because i thought that was funny um also i for the people in chat i know it's two birds in one stone or two boxes one stroke i was it's a joke t he was, he was mixing the metaphors to be more efficient he was using yeah, two like, metaphors it's like, with one stone. it's like when you say you know does the pope shit in the woods right that's my favorite one Sorry, I don't know if that's like appropriate for your channel, but whatever. It's fine. We're on Twitch. Doesn't matter. We use the explicit tag on iTunes. Um, so you're—I didn't realize that you were so so relatively—and no offense—relatively new to content creation. I thought you were doing it for a lot longer than a year. Um, so this this question might not be the best for you, but what are some common pitfalls of content creation that people starting out should avoid? Oh, I mean, like I've streamed for a few years, but I was just sort of streaming for fun. It was only, oh, okay. I think, like kind of like last, like early last year in January, where I was like, oh, I'm going to actually start content creation. And then it's like only seriously this year that I like actually put like strategy and intention behind it um, and like was like, oh, I am a content creator. I was just kind of inadvertently doing it before. Okay. Like when I was posting like data stuff to players, that was me just like, ah, oh, here's some cool data. I'm going to share this with players. When I was posting memes and stuff on Twitter, I was like, ah, here's a funny meme I'll post to players. And now I'm like a little bit more intentional. I'm like, oh, I want to make a funny TikTok as a piece of content and to piss off people because they hate my TikToks. Or more specifically now, I'm like, oh, Devin Data is like a form of content creation that I'm actively working on. 
Um, but I just started doing dev and data like formally. I used to do those sort of more one-off with like random interviews with some of the Riot people, but that was just kind of like for fun. And I did those like last year and then just had a YouTube dude like um, editor spin them up as videos. That was really informally. As far as like common pitfalls um, for content creation, oh God. I mean, I think it's like really good to just know your audience. The classic things people tell you, know your audience, have a vision, uh, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I, I'm still falling into uh, pits, so probably not the best person to ask here. Uh, Would you recommend uh, uh, one, one, people- one that One that is extremely important that I don't know if people at companies are doing is like, build out a like content creation and engagement charter at your company whether you are at riot or some other company that lets you do this like build out a like charter a full-fledged thing about what is okay what's not okay have a point of contact um write out like you know examples of what toes the line what crosses the line what doesn't sorry my alarm's going off um go through a whole process there that you can reference back because the reality of content creation is you're going to get burned for stuff, whether you're burned internally at your company, burned by viewers, or other people who see it. Like people will find something to take issue with, and you have to have some sort of guiding source of truth that you can point back to as to why you did things the way you did. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I like that. I like that answer a lot, um, especially if we do start to see more content creators from the game dev community. Um, point building out a rule set of like, hey, this is okay, this isn't, is a really good way to keep everyone safe in terms of um, community reaction to certain memes like the 200 years um, and stuff like that. And that that's something that I think is just on the very, very, very cusp of the pioneer um, experience for game dev. So I do wonder in 10 years, will this be a, a scrum tutor coming in and teaching that very, that very subject? That'd be very funny. <laughs> um, so this is this is something that I thought was pretty funny. Um, you do do TikToks, and you do do um, lots of cool memes on Twitter. Yep. How have your coworkers reacted to to you being a content creator and putting out content like that? Uh, I mean, I'll give you an I'll give you an honest answer here. I've been streaming for a while and I've done like obviously TikToks and I do stuff on Twitter and stuff. In that time, I have had, you know, I've obviously I had someone change their name to like Fire Blaustoise, like change their summoner name to Fire Blaustoise. I've had players like accuse me of all sorts of random shit on Twitter or like associate me with like weird shit all the time. I've had people like issue death threats, obviously. I mean, that's like a classic being in the game industry, all sorts of weird things. Uh, my, my dear mother has a uh, Twitch account uh, called mama plows toys. Um, and she, I like bless her soul. She literally like this, this woman is almost 70 years. Actually. Yeah. She's 70 years old now. She, I, I, I had to work with her just to teach her how to make the fucking account and like go in just to come and watch me. Cause she just literally, she doesn't know anything about the games I'm playing. She literally just wants to see my face. Um, I had players like message, like direct message her and harass her and all sorts of wow. other shit and make her worried and stuff. So I've had stuff like that occur in all of that, in all of that, I have never faced even an ounce of stress from external players from like gamers or players etc and even in like a like a, a snippet of the stress i face from them compared to the amount of stress i face internally like from internally at riot in terms of like co-workers that. that stuff stresses like the like stresses me to no end um i don't want them to to think you know it, it's any number of things of like i don't want them to think i'm like too boastful or egotistical even though i just told you i like the sound of my own voice if i'm critical of certain content what if they worked on that content at other companies what they're working on that content now uh at riot um god there's all sorts of like you know and and again i i i this is a like this is a reason why like um you had rigney on here one of the things that like is a group that might be overlooked at other companies is people like Rigney, 
uh, who are, you know, he talked about this on the, on his, uh, when he was on here, like, thank God for, you know, some of the people on that team who, um, I, and I've, I've butted heads with like the comms folks at Riot before, but like, God bless them because they work to help resolve that friction that can occur when anyone at, when any of the people at Riot are engaging with the community or if like, say Mort's doing, um, content creation, like they help guide us through that. But even still it is the, how, like, I wish I could say, yeah, there's like obviously funny react, like, yeah, at the best of times coworkers reacting to my content is like everyone cheering in the office when I beat Tyler one in a one to one, like that's great. And that's probably what people will reference. And that's why I'm like, yeah, it's really fun to interact with the community. Look at this fun thing. And people cheered at the worst of times. I like actually left the office crying and like lost sleep for like a week and legitimately lost years out of my life because of like rampant high blood sugars from my diabetes because of stress from some of this stuff. So not to say people shouldn't do it, but you know, that's why I'm saying build out that, you know, build out that agreement of like what, you know, the charter for your content creation. I think that's really important. Yeah. That's a very honest answer. I appreciate it. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You, you were expecting some funny meme there, right? I hit you with the real <laughs> shit. Um, and then lastly, uh, on this topic, it was supposed to be first, but I wanted to point out, uh, I wrote this a little while ago, back when we were going to have our episode a couple weeks ago, but I just want to mention it. The, the charity stream that you just did a couple weeks back for the color of change, um, you and a few other devs at riot, uh, raised over $10,000 for the color of change. So I, I wanted to shout you guys out for that. That was really awesome. Um, I was watching a couple of your streams during that time. So just wanted to say that's a really cool thing that you did. And then I hope we see more stuff like that in the future from, from content creators. No, I mean, it, it was, we, it was basically, we are all like dev streamers. We saw a bunch of like bigger content creators and big streamers doing it. And some of us just independently came up with the idea. I know Riot Morello had come up with the idea. I had come up with the idea. And again, talking about those comms folks who are great at like connecting us, it was actually because I reached out to them. I was like, hey, I want to do this. They're like, oh, this is cool. Here's some other people planning to do this. And we basically all organized together and agreed that we would we would all do this. Um, yeah, and there's a whole group of us who did it. Uh, it was really cool. And I think like uh, Riv, who a lot of people know, um, you know, Rivington, uh, the like caster, um, broadcaster dude, uh, he's actually doing a lot more sort of charity stuff on his stream now going forward as like a continued thing. Um, for myself, obviously, I'm not like doing, I, I, I'm not doing it to the same degree he is where I'm like doing charity streams like almost all the time. Or I think like almost all of his donations go to charity now or something like that. But I am planning to do more. I actually do have a charity stream coming up uh, this weekend. I'm going to be doing a stream for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Because again, as I mentioned, my blood sugars and losing years of my life because of rampant high blood sugars, diabetes is something I'm passionate about. So I'm going to be doing a charity stream, uh, partnering with the, uh, I'm actually partnering with the foundation, the JDRF and doing it on Twitch this coming weekend. Uh, and yeah, I plan to do more of that. And I plan to like help support other like dev streamers who are interested in doing that as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what time this weekend are you going to be doing your charity stream? Do you know, uh, 6 PM to 8 PM Pacific time. It'll be on your on channel. Saturday. Yep. Oh yeah. So check them out. If you, I mean, most people here probably already will be, but Check out that stream. I'll probably be in there if I have the time. Um, that's pretty much everything I've written down on the doc. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about that wasn't off doc? No, um, I think uh, if people want like a little bit more, like I had to be pretty vague sort of talking about like what I do now in terms of R&D. And again, it's just because it's kind of like a secret world. Um, I think we even mentioned like cloak and dagger shit in like our... Uh, in our articles about him, like there's any number of articles, like think about all the stuff that exists for Valor and all the stuff that exists for League of Legends. There's an entire department called R&D and we have two public facing things. One of them is written by literally the head of R&D, uh, John David Perry. And then the other is written by our head of design at Riot, Tom Cadwell. Those are the only two articles that exist that talk about R&D. Um, and then the only thing that is associated with R&D is uh, Project L. Um, Technically, that is associate like that's part of us, um, but that's like the only one. Yeah, um, I think I had something I wanted to ask. No, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you have any questions that, and you get asked a lot of questions on your stream, I imagine. But do you have any questions that you never get asked, and you wish more people asked you? 
Uh, yeah. I wish people asked me more questions about Kanye West songs. <laughs> what? Okay, I'll ask you one right now. What is your favorite Kanye West song? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we broke it. Okay, it's, I mean, it's top probably three, it's top three. it's it's probably Runaway for number one. Um, uh, top three is like Runaway, Devil in the New Dress, and. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know what the third one would be. I like uh, maybe, Gold Digger. Maybe Ultralight Beam. Yeah. Oh, God, dude. I hate I hate the, your answer. Oh, God. I also, I hate it I'm when people like... I'm not a big like, Kanye West fan. I'm sorry. I, I, when people are like, oh, I miss the old Kanye. I fucking hate that, dude. I like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Kanye, Kanye is, 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 is... You have to go on a journey with loving Kanye West. And, and that journey is it is one that you have to complete you have to go through all of the albums the ups and downs etc and, and then and then you can truly find which one is special to you and well, you'll what if i told you what if i told you that we have kanye west here in the studio right now to say hi to you i wouldn't believe you <laughs> well you'd be correct because <laughs> he's not here hey nathan thanks for coming on the show i appreciate it so much you were an awesome guest you you gave a lot of insights into your job as an insights person so i appreciate you coming on uh, do you Happy have any, to be on. you have anything else you want to plug other than your charity stream this weekend? Nope, that's all. Only important plug. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Buy RP, buy Valorant points. Um, we're just a small indie company. We're just trying to you know get our make our way in the gaming world. It's really tough and competitive, but I, I think with the with your financial support, Riot can probably do it. So um, would love if y'all can uh, help us out. Buy buy the next Lux skin. That was a out. joke, by the way. That was a joke. <laughs> Don't really give helps. us your money. Really helps Nathan out when you buy Lex skins. Um, Honestly, go spend your money on other things. <laughs> so check check Nathan out on Twitter at Blastoise. Check him out on on uh, Twitch, TikTok if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Dude, questions? everyone everyone memes on TikTok. TikTok's just it's like why do people why did people make fun of did people make fun of Facebook when it first came out? Yeah, they made fun of Instagram. It's like, dude, TikTok's just gonna be another like mainstay social media. People need to stop making fun of it. Ay ay ay. That's my last thing. I don't harbor any ill feelings to it. I just don't really get it. Um, That's not to you. That's to everyone else. Um, (laughs) Okay, that that's the message that we want to get out with this show. Please stop making fun of TikTok. It's a cool, it's a cool, it's a cool platform for cool people. Uh, If you enjoyed, if you enjoyed this stream, check us out on Twitch.tv/slash Nighthawk20000. Give us a follow. Give us a sub if you'd like. Uh, If you can't catch us live, check us out on YouTube. I upload all the videos there. Um, We do a big VOD stream, which is about an hour and a half long. And then we do a bunch of individual highlights that I go through and edit through all the episodes. If you can't watch the whole thing, watch those. Most of the important stuff will be on there. We'll probably have some cool ones from, from Blau. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Ben DePiro. I don't really tweet too much interesting stuff, but that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, and if you want to just listen to the show, check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and more. Give us a follow and rating on this platform. It helps out the show a lot. It helps us spread to more listeners. And uh, thank you guys for coming out and watching the show and listening on your headphones. Appreciate it a lot.